Hi, folks. Keith Jones for Front Row Knowles. We appreciate your listening to our podcasts and all the things that uh, go into what we do in terms of watching Florida State Athletics. But we would remind you that part of Florida State Athletics is certainly Seminole Boosters. Uh, athletics can't do what they do without the support of you and without the support of Seminole Boosters. So we encourage you, if you're not already a member, consider joining Seminole Boosters. If you are a member, consider increasing your participation. Without Seminole Boosters, Florida State Athletics is going to be run of the mill. With Seminole Boosters, Florida State can work their way towards elite. And oh, by the way, they're doing pretty good on the football field. They're doing pretty good on the pitch for soccer. Uh, and they're uh, getting ready to do good on both the men and women's side on the hardwood. Join Seminole Boosters, support Seminole Boosters, and continue to support Front Row Knowles. Go Knowles! Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Hey, everybody. Tom Block and Keith Jones. This is Front Row Knowles. Big show ahead. Head baseball coach is going to join us, but first, let me exchange pleasantries. How are you, KJ? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm excited for baseball. Uh, you know, uh, this is a time of year. We say it every year, but this is a time of year uh, that, uh, you know, if you, if you grew up playing Little League and you grew up uh, being around that round ball, most of us, uh, that was the first game that we picked up. And uh, baseball has just always been something I've loved, and I love watching Florida State baseball. One of the things Link is going to touch on, uh, really two things that I don't think historically or traditionally we've necessarily associated with baseball. Uh, one of them is physicality, and certainly the game has changed as the guys have gotten bigger, stronger, faster, all that, and Link will touch on that. But but the other one, uh, it's a word that I think of related to offensive line or a point guard distributing the basketball, and it's chemistry. Baseball, to me, I've always thought of as more of an individual sport. And yet, the challenge for Link, he's got so many new faces, new freshmen, so many new guys that came in in the transfer portal that they basically had to wear name tags in the clubhouse to figure out who's who as the year got started. Tommy, way back in the day, when you showed up at Florida State as a football player, they would take that white athletic tape and they'd put it on the front of your helmet and they'd write your last name. And for the first couple of weeks of practice, that's the only way that the coaches knew you. I don't know how you do that in baseball, uh, but I'm sure Link and, and Micah and the rest of the staff has had to do a little bit of that with all the new faces. One of the things he'll touch on, and we'll get to the interview with Link in this next segment, is just today's era of college baseball, which is, Warfare, he called it, out on the recruiting trail, basically. What's interesting about that is baseball, college baseball to me, is the one sport where you did have to do more replenishment of your roster historically because guys could, you know, you'd politely ask them to move on to JUCO or they could turn pro after their third year. I mean, depending on their age, they could turn pro after their sophomore year. So there's always been a lot of turnover in baseball, but now it's it's even, I mean, it's like every other sport. Well, plus you, you complicate that because in baseball, you don't have everyone available for a full scholarship. Your scholarships are limited. 
you know, you're only going to have a, a, a half a dozen, eight kids that are quote unquote on full ride, if that many. So you've got to manage partial scholarships and other grants and other things they're eligible for. I mean, it's always been a very complicated process on the diamond. So Link Jarrett joins us next. We'll also hear from our Osceola insider, Bob Frante, a little bit later on because college football is now a year-round sport. And so the news is that Mike Norvell is on the Seminole Booster Tour and making his way around the state, talk with the media in Orlando extensively. Bob was down there. We'll get his thoughts on that. And FSU has so many new freshmen that they're trotting out to the media that they basically could just set up a recurring interview 10 o'clock at the Moore Center and on Zoom daily for about the next month until spring practice starts. And oh, by the way, we had national signing day. Did anybody miss that? Oh, about, about 27 guys missed it since FSU only added one new name, right? <laughs> Those days have gone. So, you know, college football has become a year-round sport because people like us talk about it year-round. I don't know that it's anything college football has done proactively to say, how can we monopolize the calendar? So despite the efforts of the uh, of the game of college football, which is still rudderless and has new, no true leadership at the top, uh, we are still talking about it daily, weekly on this show. And we had a little game on Sunday. I don't know if you paid attention to it, but like 120, 125 million people were tuned in. Yeah, we didn't even touch on the Super Bowl because it's old news now. And uh, we'll get to that later in the show. But how good is Pat Mahomes, Cajun? Uh, really, really good. Yeah. Amen. Congrats to Derek Nottie, by the way. I know he was injured, but I mean, he's got he's got three Super Bowl rings in his career and he ain't giving them back. So good for him. All right. We'll take a break. We'll come back and uh, resume with uh, with head coach Link Jarrett. That's right after this. Stay with us on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. to front row Knowles really pleased to uh have link Jarrett join us here in this segment and Keith you're like me we go back a ways in garnet and gold and, and link's one of those guys too I guess he goes back further than us probably since he grew up in the shadows of Mike Martinfield and Dick Houser Stadium he is younger than you so maybe you you could claim that title but either way he's, we'll he's have garnet to get gold. A cal- would have to get a calculator out in order to determine that but the point is this is a guy uh if you're going to pick a guy who was perfect for this job and for following the Martin family in this role, I, I think Link is the guy, and it's year two. I'm excited about it. Very much so, very much so. The, uh, he hit the ground running last year, but had some things happen. Of course, in your first year, you're not able to implement everything. There's been issues uh, relative to uh, transfer portal and NIL that he's had to navigate. Uh, but again, long term, I don't think he could make a better decision. That said, let's open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And uh, we'll, we'll pick up this conversation as uh, ask Link a question just about fall ball rolling into spring and the start of the season on Friday. And he started with a, a great snapshot of what he's looking forward to from this year's team. Link, you're, you're really close to being uh, at that first pitch. What are you most pleased with as you look back on your fall ball and now that you've got ready for spring, what 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 about this team pleases you most? Keith, it's the versatility we have. It's the physicality. We have variety on the mound. You know, when you see Cam Leiter roll out there, he's been 95 to 98 with a really good 88 
89 mile an hour slider, an over the top, really good big breaking ball and feel for a changeup. So that in itself is exciting. You look at, we're going to throw Jamie Arnold on Saturday. Now we had to thrust him into this a little bit last year as a freshman, and he probably wasn't quite ready to handle what we needed him to do, but he's back in that role this year after an entire freshman year dealing with it. The summer in the Cape Cod League, a new fall, the upgrade we've been able to make in the pitching lab area. Micah has been great. Like those are exciting pieces. Whitaker on Sunday, you guys know he's a bulldog. He's going to give you everything he's got. We wanted him to start Sunday. Those three are exciting. You look at the bullpen, you, you've got Carson Dorsey, which is an over-the-top, really dynamic left-handed arm. Interesting. You'll see the first pitch he throws. It's going to get your attention, the mechanics. Noah Short, side armor, grad transfer from West Virginia. You just go Ben Barrett, Matt, the, the young guns I'm calling, some of these young, Matt Souser, Hudson Rowan, Brady Lauk, freshman arms. But, Keith, it's been exciting to watch them. You know, you, when the other – team shows up and the lights are on and the popcorn's in the machine and they're you know we have to get them out in that to solidify you know how they actually seem to perform against an opponent but that's been fun the physicality of the group cam smith a year older and and far more seasoned for this james tibbs you know what kind of hitter he is um ferrer just a tough out diamez is a year more experienced and has been Healthy, Daniel Cantu, left-handed grad transfer, first baseman, left-handed hitter from the University of South Florida. I'm excited. We have depth behind the plate, whether it's Holbrook or West or Marco Dingus. We have some options. Um, the middle of the infield, Alex Lodis, Drew Perot, talented, physical guys. I, I don't know what to do out there right now. And, Cal Fisher, a freshman from Wisconsin, played in the Northwood Summer League all summer as a high school senior. These guys, it's a dogfight to find your way in there, and there's going to be some movement on giving these guys a chance and keeping everybody involved in it. Uh, Marco Dingus, whether we use him as a DH or you know, catching left field, I can't wait for you guys to see some of the swings this kid takes. So, like I. I like what I see. Our defensive awareness and savviness for, for whatever reason in this era of college baseball, I just think the kids have played different youth type baseball where they travel and they play a lot of games, but maybe don't get some of the practice repetitions and some of the things that give you maybe some feel for what goes on just because of how the landscape of coming up in baseball is now with the travel circuit stuff. So my biggest concern is just our defensive instinctual play and things that happen that are a little bit off script that you have to think on the fly and manage. Those things have concerned me. Um, I'm excited about the pitching, but we need those guys that are starting. And, and the starting rotation can clearly change. Like, we all know that. But when you look at what you're doing as a starting pitcher, shortening the back end of the game, we need that. Because some of these young arms that are very dynamic, like there were so many times last year we're having to get the bullpen going to third, fourth, fifth inning. That's that's not ideal when they're pitching once a week. So can lighter lengthen these things out? Arnold, like Arnold, when it's on point, it's dynamic left-handed low slot climbing 92 to 96 stuff. 
keeping it clicking and keeping it going and extending those outings and keeping the pitch counts down is the key to the whole thing. Gavin Adams throws 100, he's 101 miles an hour the other day. So you're going to see, there's going to be an arm that runs out here. We're not starting him, but he'll be out of the bullpen. You just don't see some of this stuff very often. So it's exciting. It is not a finished product. Like I know what the finished product looks like. We're not quite there, but I like the makings of this and the physicality and the pieces of it. I know that's a, that's a lot of info, but I'm excited about it. And we have to go play efficiently and clean. And you know, we're going to find out Friday what that looks like. You mentioned 101 miles an hour. Link, are, are you a, a coach who likes seeing the speed on the radar gun at the stadium? Or would you rather it not be up there for guys to see it? Tom, that's a good question. You know, there's a, I know you never knew how hard you were throwing coming along years ago. And now they have this stuff in their training facilities growing up. Like they have the radar gun, they have the rap soto, we have the track man and whatever technology you want to use. They're really used to that. So my thing is the accuracy, Tom, I, like we're on it. It's very accurate. And we have our track man system running while we practice and play. And when we practice, the radar gun is on the scoreboard, just like it is for the games. And it's, it's very close. If it was not, then I wouldn't want it because it becomes a distraction. But, you know, we had 12, 15 scouts at our scrimmages this weekend. And they said, it's give or take within one mile an hour. Like it's as accurate as you could be. Sometimes in the radar guns in the stands, if you have 12 radar guns, there might be slightly just different readings, even on the radar guns behind home plate. So, I'm okay with it, and we're gonna we're gonna do some things on the scoreboard to try to make it a little bit more fan friendly, like with some launch angle stuff and exit velocity, and just some things that are now available in the game that I think people will enjoy. So I'm I'm okay with it. Link, along with welcoming the uh, newcomers, you've got some new people on your staff. Uh, very familiar for those of us that have followed baseball, particularly at Micah. Uh, but folks that you're familiar with, but they're new to the Florida State program. How how have you meshed? How has it worked so far? Well, there's 310 of these head coaching jobs in the country. And for Chuck and Rich, we've been through a lot together. Um, for those guys to have an opportunity to get these head coaching jobs, there's coaches that wait their whole career to interview for one of these may never get an interview. Some coaches interview for multiple jobs and never get these head coaching positions. And it couldn't have lined up better for those guys. The, you know, the Notre Dame Navy connection goes way, way back. And it was a good fit for him. And I spoke to that athletic director for 30 minutes on the back of a 737. We were trying to take off and I spoke to him about Chuck and his leadership skills and feel for the game. And he's a tough guy. And it was a great fit. Rich played at UCF. And it lined up that he had a chance. And again, I, I sold out with the athletic director. You know, Rich is a great recruiter, great feel for the game, great presence. And these guys are well on their way. Those are tremendous jobs. So you have that that occurred. And it's crazy that it actually happened almost at the same time. It did. Mike is a stud. He, his meshing of what's going on with the modern day pitching data and analytics it's phenomenal Keith like this this stuff did not exist six years ago seven years ago and it just continues to evolve so the pitch shaping and the grips 
mixing the pitches properly based on what the data is telling you these pitches actually do. Um, you can't see some of this with your, your naked eyes. It's amazing. But he's got the fundamental savvy for in-game competitive pitching, which the data and analytics doesn't matter Friday night when Leiter goes out there and throws. You have to compete and read swings, manage the flow of the game. There's still things in pitching that will hold true as long as the game's ever played. Getting ahead, like managing the game. So you have to mesh that because all the laboratory work in the world is great, but you have to go out there against somebody else and get hitters out, period. Um, I coached Ty McGahee. We then coached together at Auburn, won the SEC West. Not easy to do. He knows my system, my language my hitting philosophy infield he could coach any position out there on the field and he's working with our outfielders right now he could handle the infielders he's worked with catchers he's coached coached the golden spike award winner kyle lewis at mercer um, so we're right where we need to be with that now there's newness like they're learning what this is going to be like friday it's it's different than what it was like at dallas baptist and Pitt. but these guys have coached in huge games and huge environments and they just have to jump in there and do their thing. They're phenomenal. Brad is with us. Brad is a pro. He was with me at Notre Dame, and, and he's back. So, man, we're in good shape. These are professionals. They know what they're doing, and we're not missing a beat with these guys. They're, they're great. Great recruiters, great people, husbands, fathers, A-plus. Couldn't be happier. Link, I know you've answered a lot of questions uh, about him over the last couple of weeks, and, and I want to look forward more than look back, but the services for Mike Martin last week, and you play at Mike Martin Field. What, what will you carry with you as, as you're coaching there and continue your career and, and just knowing what he meant to you and what he meant to Florida State and Tallahassee and college baseball? Beautiful ceremony, and I, I went and visited with 11 you know, weeks ago and sat with Carol and she wanted to have the service on this field and I 100% love that and I think it went exactly how she wanted it to go it's a great family Carol's amazing 11 was so classy and just had such good feel and integrity that's what sticks with me more than anything else. We could talk for hours about the baseball nuances and his feel for the game. I think me personally, he brought out the best version of me in a lot of different areas just because of how he carried himself as a coach, but then husband, father, pushed us along, like really pushed me along. I, Tom, you, I, I was a good player. I wasn't a great player. Probably coming in here, I was marginal good. And I felt like I left so much better than when I came in. And he pushed me along on the field. But then as you grow and evolve and you get into this industry, you, you marvel at how he handled himself in every walk of life. So that's what I take away as much as anything on the field. The pitching and defense and the belief in that and the details of that and the base running things that we worked on and we talked about. And he and I would have personal little debates and discussions and arguments in fun about little moments in games and why this bunt defense is right or why he doesn't think it's right or why, why do I think it's right or 
how to do the cutoff and relays and the tandems and those. Like I would sit in his office, Tom, and I was done playing for him. I was with the Rockies at the time, and I knew my time with the Rockies was. <laughs> I probably wasn't going to be a major league player as a career, and I thought this would be something coaching wise that I could do. I would sit there and just soak it in, and just anything I could think to ask him, I just I just like to soak it in. His presence to me was just amazing, one of a kind, and it's it's the totality of eleven. It's not just one aspect of him. It was how he lived his life and how he handled us and me and what he got out of us. Well said. Link, we will uh, we'll let you get going. We know you got a baseball season to get ready for. We're excited. Opening weekend, opening day on uh, Friday night, and uh, it's, it's going to be fun. It's, it's always fun. There'll be uh, highs and lows. That's part of baseball, but enjoy it, and uh, we look forward to it. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Keith. You bet. We'll have more Front Row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. We welcome you back to Front Row Knowles. We're going to keep that Earl Bacon Agency hotline open. Thanks to... Tip of the cap to Link Jarrett for joining us and a tip of the cap in advance to our Osceola insider, Bob Frante, who joins us now. Bob, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. We got uh, overlapping seasons between uh, football and basketball, baseball, softball. It's, it's been a good time here uh, here on campus covering all these guys. Full disclosure, as we record on Tuesday evening, Bob is in his car having just hurried over from uh, Joanne Graff Field, I presume, but an interview with Lonnie Alameda. The uh, the Knowles of uh, Coach Alameda, who joined us last week, went four and one opening weekend. Quick takeaways from uh, what you saw, what she saw, what she said. I I think they like a lot of the freshmen and and see how they're going to fit in with this kind of growth and and the youth development that they've got. Um, it's it's some amount of growing pains when you don't have a cat Sandercock out there. I mean, she cures a lot of what you're trying to do. Uh, game to game and just eats up a ton of innings but I think you know yes they lost a game in the opening weekend and there's always some kind of wonder about what that means they lost a game in the opening weekend last year and were the national runner-up in this very same tournament so don't kind of take too much out of it I think the the big one is this Clearwater tournament which has just become a huge ESPN production you know of course they will play four games four ranked teams consecutive days thursday through sunday and you know so so some good national tv coverage for florida state and for softball just to help kind of grow that sport bob as we switch over back to baseball uh what can you tell us about what you've observed what's your observations about where this club is uh heading into its first pitch against butler on friday i'm really excited i think i I think we we feel pretty confident in saying at at minimum this is a deeper more experienced pitching staff. And I, I think maybe that doesn't excite too many people. But again, if you go back to last year, again, Link Jarrett said at one point, the pitching staff was razor thin. That was a term that we used throughout the season. When your coach is using the term razor thin, you understand what he's battling day in, day out, as far as just getting 27 outs. Now you bring in a, a Kim Leiter, an experienced, a guy with a last name that means a lot in Major League Baseball, obviously, um, he's the nephew of, of two 
Major League Baseball starting pitchers for a long, long time. So you've got a Cam Leiter who might be your Friday night guy. Jamie Arnold might be the Saturday guy. You've got some options as far as if it's not Arnold, Connor Whitaker, Yoel Tejada. So you've got pitching. Then the questions become, do you have the infield, the defense behind those guys? We do think it's a, a lineup that will, will pack a little bit more production. We've seen some pop at the plate. So I still say there's some uncertainties with this team, and you really don't get to know a whole lot out of an opening series like a Butler. But once you get, say, a month, maybe 20 games into the year, you just get a better kind of clearer picture of where things are. But I think the team is trending in the right direction here for Lincoln year two. Mentioned defense as uh, an area he's focused on. I don't want to misstate. He didn't call it a liability. I don't even think he used the word concern, but that was an area where he indicated they need to get better for what that's worth. But having yeah, been a good shortstop in his own right, I feel like that's going to happen just by the nature of how he coaches. As Chip Baker likes to say repeatedly, I mean, nobody made more putouts in the history of college baseball than Lank Jarrett. I mean, nobody knows how to make that play whether it's routine or tough, like a Link Jarrett. I, I think they did have to go into the portal to grab a number of infielders. Um, I feel pretty confident in, in Cam Smith's going to be that third baseman. Just a rocket arm over there makes a, makes some really good plays. And he looks like a major league third baseman should look just from a, a body size, of course, the arm that he's got. Uh, we think Daniel Cantu will be the first baseman. There are some options at second and short. Um, so we'll see. I, I think it's going to be better. Are there still going to be some, again, growing pains, some errors? Of course there are, but I think there's, there's some speed in the outfield. I, I do think it, as long as this is a better defensive fielding team, just making the necessary plays, um, chasing down some plays in center with Diomez Ross. I, I do think that supports your pitching staff. It goes hand in hand. And I think Link knows that. I think it will be a better defensive team in uh, 2024. Bob Link talked about it a little bit. More importantly, he talked about the, the two guys that he lost that took head coaching jobs and, and what it, an opportunity it was for them. But this is a new staff for Link. I know Link's only in his second year, but you know there's some first-year guys, particularly Micah Posey. Um, there's, there's some getting used to each other. There's some familiarity because they've worked together in the past, but not at FSU. Liability, positive, don't know yet. What's your thoughts? I always kind of lean toward year one is an, is an acclimation for a lot of these guys. You get fall ball, you get the off season, what they can do, how they connect with, with baseball players is a good year one thing, but you really see those gains. I, I think moving forward into a year two, we could really see that progress. I think Micah Posey is going to be here until he gets a head coaching job. He's a Tallahassee native. You know, we we know his dad, Mike Posey, the longtime coach at North Florida Christian. Micah is a good baseball guy, and he's really done, I think, some good work early in this offseason working with the pitchers. I, I think it's it's going to be a good thing just seeing how Micah, I think, connects with pitchers in particular. And, and not that Chuck Rostano didn't. I'm not saying that one bit. It's just nice to see how a pitcher looks at Micah. They have that kind of good working relationship, even though it's sort of early in February there. I, I think we'll we'll maybe see those relationships really push in the coming years. It could be a really good thing if if Link's able to keep those guys for 2025. 
Opening weekend is this weekend, Florida State and Butler. I think, uh, what do we got? Five o'clock on Friday, five, two, and noon game times this weekend. Let's let's jump over to football real quick. Uh, the uh, Seminole Booster Tour with head coach Mike Norvell is underway, and I know he was down in Orlando. I don't know where else he's been, but you were down in Orlando uh, as well. And that seemed like a pretty lengthy uh, meeting with the media in the center of the state. Some other folks came out. Anything uh, juicy or spicy come out of that conversation? I think the big picture takeaways, and we hadn't talked to Coach Norvell in maybe a month and a half or so, honestly. He's really happy with tour of duty. That's their off-season workouts. Really likes just the numbers, what he sees from those kind of GPS. He can look at what kind of energy is being exerted, what kind of consistency our guys providing. And he can look back year to year, so you can tell those gains. And they're, in his view, very, very significant. I think the others, DJ Uyangale, what he has shown as a leader, what DJ has shown as far as just making this quarterback room deeper. Um, you know, obviously a lot of praise for Brock Glenn and what Brock did in two really tough situations in the postseason for the Seminoles. So I, I think Mike feels really good about where things are in this offseason. Um, a lot of praise for just how this team has worked, how it's responded. Um, you know, to in part the college football playoff snub um, coming off the disappointment of the bowl game and, and obviously that result. But he, he feels like it's a motivated team, a, a motivated group of players to go out and to accomplish something, uh, something significant in 2024. So I, I think those are good. I think good storylines as we're still, you know, roughly a month or so away from the actual spring football practices starting. Well, and, and I think the showcases they're calling it now, as opposed to the Garnet Gold Spring game, uh, the 20th of April is that the date? Did I have that right, guys? Uh, so you're yes. you're you're inside two months to get practices on your belt, finish the tour of duty. I mean, it's going to be upon us very very quickly. Yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. I, I think you know again one of the big logistical takeaways. Um, don't have the schedule right in front of me, but. They will not break for spring break. They will start once the students come back from that spring break. It, it's kind of often been interrupted just because of where that spring break falls on the schedule. You'll get kind of a nice run there of uh, of, of practices leading up to April 20th. Um, I did ask him, you know, was would this construction around Doak Campbell Stadium, around the practice fields, would that sort of logistically be a challenge at all? And, and he said, really not at all. It, They've planned for moving forward to have just the one outdoor field, just the one indoor field. They feel really good about the the space that they'll have day to day. There will be some, you know, there there might be some gates around Doak Campbell Stadium where logistically, if they choose to go into the stadium, things will look a little bit different on a random practice day. But I, I think overall, he's he's pretty excited about what he's got in terms of players and just how the schedule kind of kind of works out for them for the spring. Let me tell you guys, he's been through 2020 uh, between COVID and the shortened season. I don't think there's anything Norvell, I don't think there's anything that's going to knock him off kilter, uh, having survived all that. Yeah, I think, I think Florida State really needed a quarterback with, I won't just say experience on the field, but that kind of leadership, that sort of guy who's been there, done that. And, uh, you know, to Mike Norvell's point, um, he's had highs and lows, right? He has had great moments at Clemson going back to early in his career. I think he won it at Notre Dame in, in year one in that COVID year, but then he's, he's had some challenging times. I mean, he, he lost his, his job at Clemson and went out to Oregon state and sort of 
kind of reshaped what he could do. Um, I thought it was neat that they sat down and watched three games, you know, when, when DJ made that visit to Tallahassee to see was Florida State where he wanted to be. Um, Coach Norvell, DJ Uyangale saw three games. Um, oddly, there were three losses for Oregon State, but there were games where I think Norvell got to see some of those positives, some of the, the things that DJ does really, really well, you know, pushing the ball down the field, throwing with accuracy and, and commanding the team, but also, you know, there's those, those kind of struggles. You know, what do you do when the moment isn't right? So I, I think that just kind of shows just, um, yes, Mike Norvell liked what he saw in DJ early, but they were able to sit down and, and sort of just see what the fit was like for both of them within this program. Hey, Bob, before we uh, came on the air, I mentioned to Tommy, I'll just mention to you on the air, you know, National Signing Day was last week. Yeah, that's about what I thought. It it is so weird to only have one signee. It's just crazy, right? Yeah, at least they had one. And it could be a good one now. I mean, he's he might end up only playing four games and taking that red shirt because he's reclassifying from 2025. So that's a good kind of stash and develop type of guy. But it, it just does show you where we've gone in college football to where February is almost an afterthought across the sport. It feels like, well, I, I don't know if it'll be the NCAA because they're going to be uh, – rendered useless if they haven't been already but it feels like a roster limit's going to come back into play because we're kind of going to this you can you can find 500 guys and find a way to get them some nil and some bright futures and something else you just keep them hanging out in your area and if any of them can play next thing you know they move up on the depth chart and somebody moves on i mean that's kind of where we are right now it feels like you know it's weird we we kind of reflect on on what it was like many years ago when say a Bear Bryant would just stash so many guys because he didn't want his competitors, his opponents to get his hands on those players. Well, now you can almost just grab a guy and, and have him as a preferred walk-on, like you said, use academics, money, bright futures, use NIL. Um, I, I haven't had a chance to talk to Trevor Jackson, but that's another good example. Like Trevor Jackson is a walk-on quarterback. He's a four-star legitimate quarterback in this class of 2024 a walk-on and Florida state fortunate to grab him. He wants to be in Tallahassee and they want him too. And, and you might say, well, down the road, that's a good guy to have from a developmental standpoint, but it, it, it just shows you roster management now is a complete mess, but it can also be fun because if, if you know how to work it, or if you're getting creative with how to work it, you've got, got some options. So it, maybe it's never been more challenging for college coaches, but I guess I have to kind of say, Mike Norvell's done a really good job of working with his staff to just figure out how to how to maximize all the scholarships, but also all the other options available too. They have done a phenomenal job. I would agree with that. But uh, I got to tell you, Bob. I got to tell you, Tommy. You you chime in. I don't think it's fun. <laughs> I wouldn't classify it as fun. Keith, I've long thought it was crazy for grown men to have their livelihood depend on the decisions of 18 to 22 year olds. But nowadays with a 365 day a year calendar, I know they're paid a lot. I understand why any coach with an opportunity and even a mild interest would take a job at the NFL level where, because the players have a union, there's negotiated time off. There's time you get actual built in vacation. You're not in charge of recruiting the new players because you have a whole other department that goes out and signs free agents. I mean, sign me up for that over this. You'll never convince me 
and I do not know Coach Saban. I have not met him. I don't even know very many people that, that know him that I've talked to, but you'll never convince me that he didn't retire because he got tired of roster management. All you got to do is look at UCLA, uh, Chip Kelly, you know, deciding I'd rather be a coordinator than a head coach. Uh, and I think in the coming couple of three or four years, we're going to see more and more situations like that. That's that's a downside at the coaching level, but I get it. I understand. Uh, I, I'm not questioning. It's just the way the game is going. I think the coaches know that they need to reform the calendar. I think they are speaking up. Again, they did speak up at the coaches convention. They don't like December. They want to move up the transfer portal window so it doesn't conflict with bowl practices and signing day. Um, I'm sorry, they want to move up the signing day window to that dead period uh, during the championship game week, actually. So there are some solutions being suggested. Um, it might be a little bit too little too late for some coaches who have made decisions. And we're seeing a lot of guys move on to the NFL, like Charlie Partridge, the Pittsburgh you know, defensive line coach, has done the same. Jeff Halfley was probably on the hot seat at Boston College and found a good NFL coordinator job and decided, you know what, I'm going to take that parachute well, I've got a parachute to jump off the plane. But I, I do think coaches are speaking up, whether it's publicly in the media or just in those rooms, in these coaches' conventions, they are speaking up. And I think we are at least headed towards some reform in that calendar. All right, Bob, we can't solve all that uh, right now, so we'll let you go. And uh, you can report back next week. Appreciate you joining us from your car on location before you go file a story. That's impressive. Thank you, sir. Take care, guys. Bob Frant there, Osceola Insider. We'll take a break and come back and put the wraps on front row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you, and appreciate Bob joining us. Keith, we, I mentioned the NFL there. We haven't talked about the Super Bowl at all, uh, which I know there's some contractual obligations, but I feel like they may just permanently put that thing in Las Vegas now, which is 180 degrees from where it used to be. But but as soon as anybody's done opening new stadiums, they're just going to stick that thing there every year. Well, that's part of uh, the reward for opening up a new stadium. But I, I, do, under, I do agree with you. I think Las Vegas uh, certainly uh, met the need. The only thing that I have uh, commented on and heard of comments on is I've, I've been so frustrated with however many people in the national media have commented and written articles and stated, boy, wasn't it lucky that, that the Chiefs scored with just three minutes, three seconds rather, left in the game. They scored with three seconds left in the game. Isn't that, isn't that just that? Otherwise, we'd have had a tie. The clock doesn't count in overtime, people. I don't even know why CBS was, was working the clock. But that's just me. Well, they didn't do a good job of pointing it out until just before that touchdown, which, by the way, was a lot like how Clemson won uh, their first. Was it their first or the – I don't know. One of their wins over Alabama was a similar play as the clock's winding down right in that corner of the end zone. Yeah, the bigger story over Vegas and the clock was uh, Pat Mahomes, who is quickly going to become the most hated guy in the NFL because all he does is win. But it's tough to argue with the production and the talent that that guy has. I mean – Six straight championship games, been to the Super Bowl four times. He's won three of them. He's 27, I think. I mean, it's a nice record. And I don't know if you've ever paid attention. He obviously is not known as a running quarterback, although he's very effective when he did it. 
uh, that that what plus or minus 20 yard run he had to set up the the game winning pass uh, was great. But if you've ever watched him just walk over to the sidelines during a timeout or walk back to the huddle uh, after a TV timeout, you know, he, he just doesn't look athletic. And then as soon as that ball is in his hands, he, he becomes Houdini. It, it's really, really, really amazing what he's able to do. I continue to marvel at the different arm slots and, and angles that he uses and no luck passes. I mean, but uh, he makes it look routine. It was impressive. Uh, so congrats to the Chiefs. I'm not sure when uh, FSU is going to get some dollars for them playing the, you know, the war chant throughout uh, all their football games. We're going to have to work on that. Well, and, and I want our listeners to know that I have uh, bought into uh, uh, the Taylor Swift phenomenon. And you'll be glad to know that anytime my answer to a question is no, uh, I just say shake, 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 which would be what my head is doing when I'm saying no, uh, because that's the only one of Taylor's songs that I even know anything about. Well, and it's actually shake it off, Keith. So you don't even know shake, shake, shake. You know, you're, just, in- you're just a you know what sometimes. You know that, don't you? Well, I, I can't claim to know much either. But I, we got at least got it. You know, people are tuning in for this kind of commentary and insight, Keith. We're trying well, to be accurate. How about this, Tommy? Here. Tell me how many of Usher's songs you can sing. Uh, well, sing none of them because I can't sing. Period. How many can I name? Well, let's discuss that next week because we're out of time. I think Keith? you're ludicrous. I think you're ludicrous. All right, I enjoyed it, sir. Before the grandpa jokes come, we'll see you next week or talk to you next week on Front Row Knowles, everybody. <laughs>